a listener production. This is From Zero, conversations with business founders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost a billion dollars annually. In this episode, you ask me the questions in what we call Ask Adam Anything. If you're a budding entrepreneur, established founder, or business professional, and want to ask us a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com, and we'd love to get you on the show. Now, on to our first question. Hi, Adam. My name is Izzy, and I'm an operations manager. I've been really enjoying listening to your podcast lately. From all the people you've interviewed, what are the trends or common themes that have resonated with you and you think that people like myself who are under 30 should keep in mind as we move forward in our careers? Thank you. Thanks, Izzy. Really good question. Uh, And there are some very common themes that that I've I've noticed speaking to so many great founders and and entrepreneurs. I think that the key one, and this is something I really look for and something that, that VCs really look for in a founder, and that's that's grit. And it's the one thing that you can't teach grit at university. You can't uh, you can't teach it in an MBA. But but you, you either have it or you don't to a great extent. And that's the often the one thing that separates a a founder from a from a genuine superstar is how how gritty they are and how many times they're willing to keep coming back. And you'll see a lot of the people I've spoken to didn't have it all their own way. And I can certainly speak from from experience uh, for for Jeremy myself. We've pivoted our business five or six times. We started a backpacker apartment business. We turned into a corporate apartment business. We turned into a, an online deals business. We started a, a restaurant booking business. That turned into a food takeaway business that became part of Menulog. Our original business turned into a travel business. So we pivoted five, six, seven times. And if you think about the, the common trends of some of the great people I've had a chance to speak to, they, they're really similar. Uh, if you think of uh, Chris Lucas, so Chris Lucas, who we spoke to in, in last series, Chris was uh, started working at IBM of all places, which is a, a the, one of the world's biggest companies, and he was a, a superstar marketer there. And he left IBM and he started a, a phone a telecommunications business uh, called AAPT, and he was super successful there. And then he left that and sold that and started uh, one of Australia's most successful hospitality businesses, uh, and and of course founded legendary restaurants like Chin Chin. So Chris has shown the ability to pivot multiple times, and when he's tracked the market. And seeing what 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 works and what doesn't. Another great example is is Simon Griffiths, who who found that unbelievable business called Who Gives a Crap. So you might remember Simon's story. So Simon tried a number of things. He, he went to uni and he wanted to get into the to the sort of the not for profit sector in a way. So he he started a bar that that donated all the money to charity, and that bar got shut down by the police because it was making too much noise. So he started another business, and then he, which was a, a micro gifting business. Uh, it didn't quite get that right. And then started what became Who Gives a Crap. And how Simon and his co-founders worked on Who Gives a Crap is they needed to get customers. So Simon came up with this great idea whereby he literally would sit on a toilet seat for, I think it was 40 hours straight, which which caused some pretty serious health impacts on him, but got, got great momentum and great uh, great customer engagement for, for the business. So if you look at uh, Simon, incredibly gritty, uh, incredibly gritty entrepreneur, and, and that grit and ability to pivot is what's made that business so adaptable during the pandemic. And when the pandemic came and their, their volumes increased, I think a hundredfold, they were able to really quickly adapt and, and meet demand. So it was a, another really good example. Well, think of another, another one is 
uh, is Paul Bassett, who who we're interviewing this series, interviewed this series for the pod. And Paul was a, originally a, a corporate lawyer at, at one of Australia's leading law firms. He then started uh, started a, a business called Seek.com, which you've probably heard of. So Seek was one of the very first marketplaces. And Paul and his brother Andrew and and Matt, their third co-founder, had to essentially work out how to start a marketplace. They didn't really exist. So they had that great initiative and great grit. And they would go to on their, their initial customers, uh, what, what the seat guys would do is nobody was online. So they'd literally get a, a, an advertisement faxed to them and they'd type it in manually themselves overnight. So they, they worked out a way. So there's a, this great common trend with, with great entrepreneurs is just finding a way, being really gritty and being really solution orientated. So it's a that's really what separates uh, the good founders from from the superstar founders. So another one is is one of my favorite guests and a good friend of mine, Adir Schiffman, who now spends a lot of time advising uh, and mentoring uh, startups and, and entrepreneurs. But he's got this great ability to ask questions. And one of my favorite parts of Adir's story is he was, I think he was selling uh, he's selling something. He walked into this old lady, this grandmother, and this was, in, I think, 1998 or so, he walked into his grandmother's house and he was, he was speaking to her and he found out she had a a child who lived, I think, in Israel at the time. And he's asked her, well, how do you speak to him? And she told him, well, I use these phone cards. And Adir had this really good idea. He goes, and he spoke to her for half an hour and got more information and, and used that idea to create a business that he sold for, for millions of dollars because nobody was doing this sort of phone card business back in 1998. So it's a really great combination of, of grit, ability to pivot, and natural curiosity that seems to be some really great trends. Uh, and the other trend is, is also... When you get an idea, really launching with it, and I think a couple of great examples uh, of that, and this is sort of get an idea because you've got a problem in your own day-to-day life, and a couple of examples is Marcus Tan, who was one of our first episodes on Series 1, and Marcus was a doctor, and he went into into other areas of health. I think he went uh, worked for a larger company, but he realized it became really hard to to make bookings online or to review other other doctors. So simply started a website, which became Health Engine, which, which did that. So... Marcus had this great idea from a real life problem and Daryl Wade was similar. So Daryl, who founded uh, Intrepid Travel, one of the great Australian travel, international travel businesses based out of Melbourne. And Daryl started his business. He simply wanted to go on a holiday uh, in Africa, actually. So he, he bought a, an old dump truck in, in I think, Nunawading. He shipped the dump truck, dump, dump truck over to, to Africa and he ran a tour with his mates from, from the UK. And that was how he started Intrepid. It was a, a real life example. He simply wanted to lower costs for for himself, and he turned that into a into a business. So the great founders are people who can see real life problems, who can adapt to them, who can change as the market changes, and be really gritty. So, is you sound like a, a really smart person as well. I'm, I'm no doubt you'll make a great success of whatever you do. But but really, yeah, grit, uh, problem solving, and, and being willing to to pivot as the market changes direction. Hi, Adam. My name's Duncan. I work in um, multiple startups, but my main startup is a marketing technology company, uh, which has a platform for SMEs. Um, and I'd love to know at what point, um, as a CEO of a startup, do you remunerate yourself um, based off revenue? Um, because I find myself prioritizing further resources for development and basically still not putting myself first, um, which can make me lose focus. So I'd love to know yeah, what your thoughts are on that. Thanks, Duncan. Great question. You sound like a, a, an incredible entrepreneur and founder yourself and really thinking about the right stuff. And I think the fact that you haven't paid yourself much as well just, just shows that you're, you're a, 
uh, a super gritty entrepreneur who, who's really got the business's best interest at heart. Uh, but it's a really good question. It's one that comes up a lot on the boards I'm at, and especially as the business grows. So there's there's really different stages. Usually when you start a, start a startup, you've got very little money. You're running off your own savings. So it actually doesn't make any real sense to pay yourself a salary because it's, it's your own money or your family and friends' money. So what you end up doing is using your own money to pay yourself and you're paying tax on that, income tax on that. So it actually makes very little sense. But but ultimately, everybody, even even founders have to eat and, and even ramen costs. So you've got to you've got to start paying yourself something, as you said. The question is how much and how quickly. When Jeremy and myself started our first business, we used our own savings. So we I think we had we about $70,000 and this is back when we were about 24 years old. So we funded ourselves. We didn't really pay ourselves salaries. We sort of pay, paid ourselves almost kind of dividends, but we didn't really call them dividends. Uh, we sort of lend the business money. We sort of pay ourselves money from profits. So sort of, we never really paid ourselves an official wage. And I think it probably took about 15 years for us to pay ourselves sort of any kind of wage. Uh, but if you think about it, so we had that first business and that business started to make a bit of money and we sort of unofficially paid ourselves a bit of money, but it was always pretty low. We were, like yourself, reinvesting the money really back into the business. That's a really common common thing. Eventually, you sort of do need to start paying yourself something because ultimately, it's it, it, especially as you get outside shareholders in, it becomes really complex, especially if, and it's even more complex if there's multiple founders in the business putting different amounts of time into the business. That's a, it's a really big problem. So if you've got one founder who's spending 70 hours a week on the business and another one spending five hours a week, you need some sort of way to make that fairer and, and remuneration is one way. But at the same time, as you noted, you don't want to spend lots and lots of money on yourself when you could be growing the business. It's that, it's that, great, uh, that great balancing act. So there's generally a, a sort of rule of thumb. If you sort of call it pre-funding of your, of your seed stage, you probably want to be paying yourself less than $100,000. Uh, probably eight, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 is about what I think is a good amount. As an angel investor, I don't love seeing a founder paying himself zero. Like in a way, it's it's really great that they're doing that, but I don't think it's actually healthy for the founder. So I don't think you want a founder paying himself paying yourself zero. But on the flip side, if you raise six hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, you can't really afford to pay two hundred thousand dollars a year because because the whole fundraise goes to the founder and they're paying tax. So it doesn't make sense either. So you got to find that happy medium. It also depends on how many founders you have. Usually when you get to sort of a series A, series B level, and let's say the company's worth $20, $30 million, the founder can probably start paying themselves $140,000, $150,000 a year if there's sufficient revenue to justify that. But it really, you've got to look at how much revenue you've got and how much funding you've got. And you're really looking to runway. It doesn't make any sense for, for someone as a founder to pay themselves lots of money if you're killing the runway of the business, the business dies. The, the real upside and the real reason we all found, find business, found businesses is because we want to grow our capital. We don't want to be paying ourselves a salary and we don't want to be paying tax on that salary. We want to be growing the capital value of the business, which is only taxed on exit at a capital gains rate. Tax structuring is, is really important and it's a really simple way of structuring is to pay yourself as little as you can and also live as frugally as you can. And I know, so me and myself and Jeremy, we've always paid ourselves very little, even as our business has grown to sort of the hundreds of millions of dollars level. Uh, I'm sort of paid midway uh, through the business, people in our business who get paid sort of five, six, ten times what I get paid. Obviously, get other, um, I get dividends and other stuff as well. So I'm certainly not crying poor, but we want to pay people. You want to try and use the company's funds and allocate the company's resources to the people who can really drive that business forward. So at the moment, you're seeing developers, product design getting paid a lot because there's so much comp- competition for the mar- for that in that market. So we are paying 
a lot of money to superstars who, who work in that part of the business. And there's also commission-driven parts of the business, uh, people who work in sales. So they tend to get paid a lot of money because it's really uh, quantitative. So I prefer to pay people delivering lots of money to the business more than me because ultimately as a CEO, your job is to bring on a team and allocate resources. But I find that an easier job than, than what some other people are doing. So we always try and pay sort of market rates to make sure our people are being remunerated properly. And as a result, the CEO, the founder tends to get left behind a bit, but that's that's fine because we get rewarded at the end of the day with with the business being sold or, or dividends eventually. In terms of what venture capitalists want, uh, if a venture capitalist is looking at a business, they tend to not like seeing really high remuneration. If you're a, a founder, early stage, getting paying themselves $200,000 or more, uh, that's that's not looked upon well at all. Uh, I've seen many VCs refuse to fund a business they really liked because the founder was paying themselves too much. It just, it just shows that the founder is willing to put themselves before the business. And obviously you're the exact opposite. It sounds like you're putting the business well before yourself, which is great. There's got to be an equilibrium though. You want it to be a fair trade-off that the founder is uh, is not struggling, can afford to put food on the table, but also be able to fund the growth of the business. So it's it's, it's always a tough decision, especially when you've got multiple founders and not all the founders are, are contributing the same amount. Uh, but as a rule of thumb, if you're thinking sort of pre-seed or seed, you're looking at under $100,000. Series A, Series B, call it one to 150. And if you're sort of Series C plus, so you've got a business doing $100 million and plus in, in sort of revenue or market valuation, or certainly valuation, you could probably start paying yourself that kind of 180, 200. But really as a founder, you should be looking to maximize the capital value of the business and not try to maximize that short-term payment. And in a sense, you want to be long-term greedy, not short-term greedy. So think think about the future and think about how you can grow wealth for all shareholders. And hopefully as founder, you're benefiting more than anyone else with the biggest equity stake. Hi, Adam. My name's Liam and I work as a lawyer at an international firm in Melbourne. I'd like to start a business and I have an idea that I've been working on, but I worry about taking that next step and not having an income to support myself and my family. Do you think great businesses can be created from side hustles or how would you recommend taking that next step with my idea? Thanks, Liam. And I love the question and I'm not sure if you know, I was a, like yourself, I was a lawyer at a, well, is now an international firm. Back then it wasn't quite international and had the exact same question. I was 24 at the time. And Jeremy, my co-founder, was working at ANZ Investment Bank. And, and his great credit, he really pushed us to, to leave our jobs and start our first business. Ideas are easy. Lots of people have great ideas. It's going from idea to execution. That's the hard part. And it's that transition that, that really is what makes or breaks the business. And there's obviously a lot of problems to be solved post then, but it's making that leap from employee to founder. And it sounds glamorous now, but what, what you're doing in that is you're jumping off the ledge. You're building, as, as Reid Hoffman says, you're building the car on the way down and you're leaving a steady job that's paying you money and it's paying your bills and paying your mortgage and potentially your school fees uh, and jumping off to a business, not, not only not paying you, but is also actually sucking up money and sucking up time. So it's a really great question. It's, it's certainly the hardest part of, of, of the startup process, that, those first few months. And I think part of the thing is to think about what stage of your life you're at. And it's a really, so if you're 23, 24, like, like you and myself were, if you're still living at home, that's a really good time to start a business. That's not to say you can't start a business later. I'll talk about that in a second. But if you're 23, 24, 27, 28, or even if, you live, if you've got low costs, if you don't have kids yet at private schools, if you don't have a big mortgage to pay, uh, even if you're living in a shared house and, and, and paying a bit of rent, that is an, an absolutely brilliant time to start a business. The reason is you've got less opportunity cost in a number of ways. You don't have fixed amounts that, you have, that are going out, but you also don't have fixed amounts coming in. So one of the really hard parts is what is the opportunity cost of giving up 
If you're a partner at a law firm earning a million dollars a year or even $500,000 a year, that's a lot of money to give up uh, versus if you're a 24-year-old, as I was, second-year lawyer earning 60 grand a year, that's not that much to give up. So the earlier you make that jump, the, the easier it is. It just gets harder. But there's a few big caveats to that. If you look at what uh, Eileen Lee from Cowboy Ventures did the very first study of, she basically invented the term unicorn. So she looked at founders who created unicorns, so companies that were worth a billion dollars or more, and looked at the demographics of who founded those businesses. And surprisingly, while I think most people think that the common unicorn founder is Mark Zuckerberg or Evan Spiegel, who dropped out of Harvard or dropped out of Stanford when they were 20 and started a business, and they were superstar coders, that's very much the exception to the rule. The, the more likely scenario is that it's a, Eileen found that it's a 30 to 40-year-old founder who'd been tertiary educated. There was a slight bias towards men, but thankfully that's changing. Uh, but certainly when she did the study seven years ago, that was what, what she found. It was, certainly wasn't the 21-year-old. It was the 30-year-old who, who had some experience, who'd, like yourself, worked in a corporate setting and had a bit of an understanding of what they wanted to get to and what they wanted to do. They also had a bit, probably had a bit more funding themselves. So if you've worked for five or six years and you've built up a bit of a nest egg, you can use that to fund yourself rather than having to get pre-seed funding from family and friends or angels. So uh, if you're talking about sweet spots, I think probably 25 to 30 is that absolute sweet spot for, for founding a business. You don't have... You definitely don't have the big cash outflows yet, and you don't have the big cash inflows yet. That said, if you look at some of the great businesses that have been started, a guy called Ray Kroc, you may have heard of him, started a business called McDonald's. So he actually bought a business called McDonald's, but he really changed how it operated. Ray Kroc was 52 when he started McDonald's and grew it into, into the, obviously the biggest restaurant chain in the world, worth tens of billions of dollars now. Sam Walton, who started Walmart, and if you look at Sam Walton's heirs of the sort of the richest family in the world, so actually even richer than the Jeff Bezos's and I think even richer than Elon Musk. Sam Walton started Walmart when he was 44. So he was far older than sort of the, the 21, 22-year-old and, and obviously not as old as Ray Kroc. But those two guys who started businesses in the, I think the 50s in, in Kroc's case and I think the 60s in Walton's case were far more experienced, had started business before. So Ray Kroc was a, was a milkshake salesman and he, he saw these two guys, the McDonald brothers in, in San Bernardino, California. And he saw that these two guys were selling more, was needed more milkshakes than anyone else in America. I think they, they, need, they bought like 24 milkshake makers. So they can make 24 milkshakes at one time. And, and Ray Kroc saw this business and got, hold on, this is, these guys must have, didn't say this because this term didn't exist then, but they must have product market fit. So they were doing something right. So Ray Kroc saw that business model actually started franchising it around America. And then obviously did, a, did a, some amazing work with, with the business and with the property and and how McDonald's was structured but, and, and, and it op operationally ran. But he, he was at the age where many people are retiring now. So there's no, I think in short, there's no hard and fast rule on when to start a business. I think what's more important than how old you are or what you're doing is, have you got a great idea and can you fully commit to that business? And, and the two work really hand in hand. So what I'd never suggest to anyone is, regardless of how old you are or what your status in life is, is don't just go quit your job or quit what you're doing and go home and try and think of a business. That, that never really works. Try and find a business that, like Ray Kroc, comes to you because you see a problem you think you can solve or you see a great idea you think you can do better. So let the idea come to you. When you have that idea, whether you're 21, whether you're 51, whether you're 71, there's always a great time. So and I say there's always a great time, but it's always a bad time. You're always giving something up and you're always making the most of opportunity. So uh, if you're under 30, there's less opportunity cost. You're earning less money. You're spending less money. Uh, that said, if you're 40, you've got more life experience, you've probably got more savings. So there's pros and cons throughout the journey. Uh, but what I say is clearly you're thinking about it the right way. 
it's up to you as to whether you've got the risk tolerance to start a business. Starting Being a founder isn't for everyone. Some people make amazing partners at law firms or investment bankers or doctors or uh, uh, childcare workers or teachers or, or radio producers. There's, there's no one size fit all, fits all for everyone. And some people make great founders. Some people are just great at solving problems, great at building teams, make great founders. And some people just are great at working with lots of other people in corporate corporations. As Scott Galloway says, there's been probably no bigger uh, vehicle for wealth than, than corporations. So uh, whilst being a founder is cool now, uh, it may not be cool in five years' time. It certainly wasn't cool 15 years ago when we started our business. So do what you think is, is best for you. And, and the time of, that, of your life cycle is probably less relevant than, than whether you've got a great idea and you think you can make it work. And that's it for this edition of Ask Adam Anything. Thanks so much for your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com. If you're a founder, young professional, or just someone interested in the world of business, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Our producers are Lindsay Green and Ed Gooden. And this has been From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Listener.